Welcome aboard. I'm Brad. I'm Eric. And I'm Scott. Welcome to My Ship Story Podcast. This is a podcast where we invite crew members, both past and present, to tell their stories about life at sea. So come up to the pool bar and grab a drink. Sit back, relax, because it's time for My My Ship Ship Story. Story. (laughs) That was terrible. Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of My Ship Story Podcast. And we got a good one for you today. But before that, let's check in with the guys, see what's going on. Scott, what's happening? Uh, you know, this is the this is the quiet before the storm. Next week, my whole world goes completely batshit. So uh, next week, the entire week, I'm completely slammed with this whole play thing that I am in. Because, uh, you know, I don't know if I told you, um, I, I was excited to do that and have lines in something for, for a change. I didn't expect to have... 25 pages of dialogue to remember. (laughs) Wait, wait, and it's a live play? Well, it's a live play, but there's no, um, there's no audience because of COVID and stuff, but they're filming it. So um, it'll go good because, you know, the people are going to have to do a lot of editing. I'm I'm not (laughs) editing, but they're going to have to edit a lot of me. And so we practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We film it on uh, the 15th through the 18th. And then the 19th, I'm in the World Championship Barbecue. Uh, and then the 20th, the next day, I'm in uh, another deal that I haven't even looked at my lines yet. That's only like two or three sentences. The day after that, I'm in the finalist or, uh, for judging the, the barbecue. You know, I have to be an English detective. So I'll be listening to everyone, <laughs> everyone English and studying because uh, wow. I have a problem on, you know, I'll talk English and everything will be all right. And then, and then I'll go down to Australia and I can't get out of Australia. <laughs> so, and people I are like, Scott, you need to choose a particular English accent yeah, because they're say, very are you- different depending where you are. So pick one yeah. and try yeah. to do that rather than trying to piece together different people from our show that are from like Liverpool and like uh, from their North England. And yeah. they have like, yeah, you're, different you're sounding English really posh. Accents. You got yeah. it like a really posh well, I'm, accent. I'm trying right not now. to sound too, too much like Sherlock Holmes or, you know, <laughs> because I'm like, Hey, he's a detective. And so I apologize Moss, uh, for, for the slaughtering of the, of the English stuff. So, so yeah, that's all what's going on. Me go over to Eric. I don't have much. I'm still dealing with dogs. I think one, my other dog is going over while he sleeps in his crate. She goes over and pees on the, the edge of the crate to try to blame it and see if he gets the blame for it. Yeah, the fun struggles of getting all the dogs on the same schedule. It sounds like things are going very well for you guys right now, but let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you ever been on a ship that sank? That's the worst nightmare. No, that's that no, absolutely not. And and for everybody out there that really hasn't worked on ships, uh the the sinking of a cruise ship is very rare. <laughs> I mean, it happens, but not very often. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's you know we've mentioned a, a fire or two, but um, the, the a ship actually going down is a pretty rare occurrence. On our show today, we have a guest that was on a ship that sank. Pretty exciting. So, welcome to the show, Moss Hills. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks very much uh, for having me. It's uh, fun to be here. Well. So, um, this is going to be this is going to be a great short. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get started on ships? When did you join? Um, you know, how did it all happen? Because uh, 
you know, back in the day, it was wasn't wasn't as common as it is now. No, I mean, I'm I'm born and raised in that great seafaring nation of Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, who thought that I would end up being being on ships? But um, but I'm a I'm a musician, a drummer, and I kind of left Zimbabwe and headed down to South Africa. That was the the, the big lights of South Africa and Johannesburg to try and become a professional drummer. I did. And I did that when I was 20. And then I thought of playing other instruments and doing different things. And then I met and married my wife, Tracy, in South Africa. And we were working together uh, as a duo. And then we joined with my brother as a trio and started working on ships. And we did our first ship, a ship called the Aster, which uh, sailed out of Cape Town. We were heading up to to Southampton and back and stops along the way, of course. And in fact, that first voyage um, was the worst storm I've ever had in all my many, many, many years of, uh, of cruising. We didn't sink or anything, but we were in a force 12 hurricane off the Bay of Biscay oh, for, for 36 hours. It oh, was that does not sound And that fun. didn't put me off. And so that was my first ship. So and well, then what, I just, year, what, what year was that? Uh, so that must have been about 1988 something like that 89 maybe so yeah, a long yeah. time ago but then that as we all know the, the sort of the cruise bug bites and it's it's not just the travel bug it, it's it's the cruise bug there's just something about walking on board a ship that just there's a feeling and it's and 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 so we just continued to work on ships and worked as musicians and entertainers and then I became a cruise director which is what I'm doing now and uh, and and I still love it oh wow so, so you're, you're still, still working, working on ships yeah oh, wow, wow. Who are you working for? Silver Sea. Oh, yeah. Osh. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've worked on every type of ship from real, real old rust buckets right up to now. <laughs> what what I, I feel is the absolute pinnacle of my whole cruising career. I mean, Silver Sea and, and the ships are so gorgeous. And, and, and it's, I've worked on big ships, but I, I, and I, and I love them. I love any kind of ship, but I like this smaller ship, the kind of intimacy. And and the fact that you get to know everybody on board, and it's a uh, oh, I love it still, really do. You know, you, you you touched on something there a second ago, and and it's really interesting because you know us and and our friends and and stuff that's worked into the into the cruise industry. You know, you you get bit by the travel bug and you want to travel and, and all that stuff but it really is a separate issue like you said it's the it's the cruise bug and yeah. that, that's pretty interesting that you say that because yeah you get you get used to cruise life with cruise ships and your cruise family that it's kind of a different thing you know people are like oh well you got a travel bug well yeah i like to travel but i think like you said i think we all got a cruise bug and that's why we were on for so long so how did you get that first gig on a ship? Did you, was it just a musician gig that came up and, and, and you started, or was it something you specifically that you want to do? It's like, Oh, ships, let's, let's give that a shot. Well, the, the, the way that I, we started working on ships the first time is we were doing a gig in a, in a, in a Harbor town, a port town in South Africa in Port Elizabeth. We weren't really wild about the gig and, We'd gone down to the harbour and were strolling around and looking at ships and there, there was a cruise ship and we were looking at it and thinking that would just be fantastic. We should we should try and work on a ship one day. I mean, wouldn't that just be amazing? I, I've spent my youth messing about in, in sailboats, yachts, and my dad and I built a couple of them and we would race yachts and, I, and, and just being on the water and I loved all of that. So perhaps that had some bearing on it. 
But then we spoke to our agent and said, look, if a ship gig comes up, let us know. He said, okay, fine. And a few months later, he said, look, there's something. There's the Aster. Do you want to give it a go? And we said, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I, I really want to get to this, this story because this is something that I have been wanting to do since the very early days, ever since Eric mentioned this on his, uh, on his podcast, on his origin story. He mentioned that the, the week that he joined was the week that the Oceanus sank. And so, um, so ever since he mentioned that, I have been on the hunt for you. <laughs> so you the english detective to come and track me down well i i just was uh just fishing 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 and finally finally somebody was like hey if you want this story moss hills is the person to go to and then that's that's when i tracked you down and and got you on i will stalk you people if i want you <laughs> i will stalk you don't make me stalk you down. Get on here. <laughs> so anyway, Moss, uh, let's let's get into this story. My name is Moss Hills, and this is my ship story. I've been working on cruise ships for many, many years. My wife and I, as entertainers, we were booked on a ship called the Oceanus, which was a, a Greek cruise ship owned by Peritiki Lines and sailing out of Piraeus, the port of Athens. That was the home port. And the ship was chartered by a South African company. We were booked on as the musicians. It was an eight-month contract. And we would sail up and down the South African coast between Cape Town and Durban, stopping at different ports. And we'd also go Durban to the Indian Ocean Islands. I've done many of those up to Madagascar, Mauritius, and then further north to Seychelles. And that's the kind of itineraries we were used to doing. So on this particular voyage, we'd sailed from Cape Town to East London was a stop, and then we were going from East London on to Durban. And it was a little bit unusual because when we got to East London, all of the guests disembarked, and the ship was chartered by a, a businessman in East London for his daughter's wedding. So oh, wow. all of the guests disembarked. They were sent to a big hotel resort. We went and had the wedding, and the wedding, the weather was really, really rough. And we were in East London Harbour, embarked all the wedding guests. It, it was a bit comedic, really, because the ship was rolling around such a lot. And you'd see the wedding guests kind of rolling from side to side like this. It, it, was, it was awful. We did the wedding, came back into the harbour so it could be a bit calmer. And then they had a party right through the night until the dawn. And so my wife, Tracy, and I as entertainers, we were performing, plus another band and then two magicians. And we'd alternate 45 minutes on, then a magician for 15 minutes, back to a band for 45, right through the night. Then they all disembarked the next morning, and the guests came back, and we were going to head out to sail to Durban. And the storm was just getting worse and worse and worse. And we were exhausted anyway after having such a long night. You know, guests embark, and I didn't feel it was unsafe to sail. So much for the rules regarding a uh, number of hours you work in a day. <laughs> Especially <laughs> well, back then. I, mean, I think that's one of the things with with uh, cruise ship work. You realize that yeah. kind of the rules about how many hours you work kind of go out the window. There are rules, but it's just one of the. And this is a long time ago. This was 1991. So and and, and I I wasn't hassled. You know, I'm I'm kind of a just I just want to get in there type of guy. So I didn't mind about the extra work. And so it was time to sail. Heck of a strong wind, a really, really strong wind. As we sailed out of East London Harbour, heading out into the storm, I didn't feel it was unsafe, but I knew it was going to be a rough night. And always as we sail out of the port for the first time, we'd normally have a sail away party. And Tracy and I would play on the deck and all the guests would be there and there'd be 
great fun and we're singing songs and it's a great start. But that didn't happen this time. We went into the lounge, the Four Seasons Lounge, and performed there. People came. It was great fun, but it was not many people. Most had gone straight to their cabins or were feeling quite ill. And the storm just got worse and worse and worse. And then as night fell, came time around for dinner. Tracy and I were in the restaurant. We've got a little very small restaurant just off the main restaurant where the entertainment staff eat. It was in this small restaurant. And we could hear in the main restaurant some of the waiters dropping trays and people sort of, oh, you know, and, and, and sort of merriment in a way of things falling around. But it started to get worse and worse quite quickly. And people started sounding a little bit scared. And Tracy and do, I thought, do you know what do you know what size swells you're dealing with here now? Are we because this sounds like 30 or 40 foot swell. Yeah, that, they were that sort of size. And how big I mean, is the Oceanic? It's not a very large ship. I forget its weight now. I, I think it's about, it's a small, small, small ship. I think it was about 18,000 tons, something like that. So very oh, okay. small. We just said to each other, we don't think we're going to be able to perform tonight because I don't know if I can stand on the stage with the, with the guitar. I also play saxophone and other instruments and stuff. And <laughs> so I don't know how easy it's going to be to stand with a guitar and a mic and, and, and keep upright i said to tracy i'm going to go upstairs go and check in the lounge and see if, if the equipment's okay i went up to the four seasons lounge and stuff really was falling around him i could see pot plants had fallen over and wow. on the stage the symbols on the drum kit on the cymbal stands had fallen over some mic stands had fallen over i was concerned that the piano was going to actually slide off the stage although it's got it's not bolted down, but it's got like little special feet that it sits on so it can't roll. But it was starting to move towards the edge of the stage. And, and whilst I was up there, it just got worse and worse and worse. And people started coming out of the restaurant and just entering the lounge. They would come up the staircase out of the restaurant and the, kind of the natural gathering place was in the lounge. And it started to fill up a lot. Suddenly, boom, all the lights went out. Oh, Jesus. And that's a bit scary. That's so not we a had good to- sign. And, no, we had and this was, it was night. dark, right? Like it was in yeah. the late oh, evening. Oh, man. Yeah, th- this was probably around about somewhere between about 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., something like that. Oh, and so and let me tell you, let me tell you, people, when when the when the power goes out on the ship, it is pitch black on the interior of the ship. I mean, pitch black. Yeah, absolutely right. It is. And so when the power went off, we got the emergency lights come on with these little tiny lights sort of at floor level to show you where to walk and a couple of overhead lights. So we had very, very dim lighting come on. It's really quite disconcerting to, to suddenly be in the darkness like that. People were still streaming into the lounge and, 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 and some of the entertainers were there with me. So we decided to try and just sing a little bit to, to kind of keep them entertained. And I was just waiting for the lights to come on. So I like, I had visioning, I like it when you say stuff like that. I like thinking of the Titanic and musicians <laughs> playing. Play <laughs> faster, play faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Go ahead. Sorry. We didn't have any power. So I couldn't use microphones or anything like that. But I had an acoustic and I started singing a few fun sing-along type songs. And a couple of the other entertainers were helping out with that. You know, getting a bit of merriment from people. But every few minutes, you know, when I'm in between songs, they'd say, Moss, what, what's happening? What, where are the lights? And I had no idea. And I kept on saying things. Oh, well, you know, we didn't pay the electricity bill. The lights will come on soon and this sort of thing. But people were getting stressed. And I was waiting for an officer dressed in white to come striding into the lounge and say something or for there to be an announcement over the PA system. I mean, that's what you would expect to happen if there, but just nothing happened no announcements no offers just nothing happened tracy then came into the lounge as well she said that she'd seen the one of the senior officers who had a 
cabin near ours, very near ours. She said she saw him come running down the passageway. She was standing in the door by her cabin. And we all know, you know there's quite narrow corridors and you, you kind of know each other. But he completely ignored her. And she was saying, you know, what, what's happening? He just ignored her. He looked a bit wild eyed. He looked wet. And she was thinking, my word, what's happening? And so Tracy had packed a few kind of emergency things. I've got an incredibly organized wife. Tracy's amazing <laughs> with stuff like that. And anyway, she came up to the lounge and she said to, to me and the other entertainers who were there, this is what she had just seen. And we were thinking, there's something going on here. I left the lounge and I said, look, I'm going to go and try and find out what's going on. We need to see what is happening. Why is there no power? And now the, the ship, we could hear that the engines weren't running anymore. And so the ship not only was slowing down, but the trouble is, there's I'm sure everyone knows when you've got no power, you've got no way to steer the ship. So it just right, slowed right. down and then it just turned broadside onto the waves. Oh, and we were just oh. getting pounded unbelievably. And it was it was dangerous to walk around. People, I was telling people, you know, sit on the floor, sit down. No, so, and everybody was just sitting on the floor or on a chair if it was a fixed down chair. But we could also see that the ship was gradually just starting to heel over more and more to the starboard side. And we could see everything, you know, pot plants and chairs and anything that wasn't fixed down was starting to crash against the starboard side of that lounge. And while all of this is going on, no voice from above, like no, no, uh, no warning, no announcement, no captain, no on the bullhorn. Everybody's no, so you're and, just on your own. No. So and, exactly. And so while all this was going on, no announcements, absolutely nothing, no officer present, just nobody was there. And so I, I said, I'm going to go and try and find out what's happening. And Tracy was quite concerned about me doing that on my own. So I went and got one of the other entertainers, one of the um, magicians, Julian. He came with me and I, I, I always take my camera and, and video camera with me. And in those days, you know, a big old camera, you know, on my shoulder, you know, not like a quick mobile phone you pull out of the, your pocket and uh, went down the cruise stairway. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go down as low as I can do and, and see what's happening and, and did some filming around. Julie and I went all the way down crew only areas. And then, then we we could hear crew sort of shouting and, and just this general chaotic noise of, of and there's different nationalities. And, and, we, and we saw them, we came on the staircase and nobody was taking any interest in us we could see them getting little um, backpacks and small suitcases and everyone just seemed to be in a bit of a panic. There's something serious going on. We went even further down. I'd never been that low in the ship before. I mean, you don't staff, you're not generally allowed to go into the engine room in that sort of area. But we thought, let's go down to the engine room and see if we can see any water or is there a fire or what's going on. And we went all the way down and we couldn't see anything. The engine room was abandoned. There was nobody in there. It's incredibly dark, very hard to see our way around. The engine and room was, everybody was gone from the engine room? Yeah, there was no one there. Wow. Oh, wow. That would wow. like seriously freak me out. We could see. Um, what I don't even know. I don't even know if I would have the balls to go further down with that happening. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm I sure mean, it, it would get darker and darker and darker. And yeah. It, it was very scary, and, and we felt so uncomfortable. We knew we were way below the waterline, but we had to find out what was happening. We had a lounge packed full of people who were kind of saying, Moss, what's happening? And uh, we, we needed to get answers, and, and they were, there was just nothing from any officers. We couldn't see that we were thinking, but we saw the watertight doors closed. You know, when you're at sea and in the engine room, those sort of watertight doors are normally closed in the normal course of traveling anyway. But we thought, okay, fine. 
we went back upstairs. I had seen, I then, I then went to go and try and find the captain. I found the captain and the cruise director and they were talking. And I remember asking the captain, Captain, you know, what, what's happening? We've got no power and I've got this lounge full of people. And I hadn't interacted with him before, but he said, no, we'll be what we're going to do is we're going to abandon the ship. And I said, well, why? Are we sinking or is there a fire? No, we're not sinking. There's no fire. Just going to abandon the ship as a precaution. You know, I'm I'm the guitarist. He's the captain. You don't really argue. But, you know, now I, I'm a cruise director. I deal with the captain every day. I'm on the bridge all the time. But, I mean, then that just wasn't the case. But I still questioned him. I said, but, but Captain, why do we have to get off the ship? If, we, if there's no fire, we're not sinking. I, it's a terrible storm in the middle of the night. I'm really scared to get into a lifeboat, and so will all our guests be scared. Why do we have to do it? He said it's just a precaution. Let's just that wait. On doesn't make doesn't make sense. You don't you don't get into the lifeboats as a precaution. No, no. no. that's your you last. Really that's your last right. resort. But yeah, a ship without power in seas that rough. You, I mean, you know now that's going to go. It's this going to whole go thing out. is making me nauseous. I'm sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I went back into the lounge. I said, "Look, the captain said we have to start abandoning the ship." I didn't say this to the guests, but to Tracy and the other entertainers who were there. But we better start getting things organized. And Lorraine, who was the cruise director, she's a real go-getter, very, very bang-on, powerful woman. She kind of got everybody motivated. All of us entertainment crew to, to get going and, and right start start evacuating guests so we, we just kind of took on our own responsibilities i mean we didn't have any official duties in something like that our official duties were really to listen to the announcements over the pa system and if if they which we do in all the drills all the time and you stand by a door and saying uh are you starboard side or port side over that way over this way you know smiling nicely and trying to look serious all the time and just thinking, oh, not another drill. There was nobody organizing anything. You know, we went out and some of the crew were out there, had gone to their lifeboat stations. There was nobody to to give the order you know, to, to launch the lifeboats. And there was all the chaos around that. And so eventually they lowered the lifeboats to the lifeboat embarkation deck. It's very dark. As I said, there are the emergency lights, but it's still very dark. And there's just the ships rolling around. There's spray everywhere. And about about what time was had, this now? So like from eight to like, is this like probably 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or? The, yeah, this is probably somewhere around 10, 11 o'clock. I'm so vague with the timeline, um, but I it, it, it was getting later at night now. So the lifeboats got lowered down, but when they are lowered, if, when you do it all the time in drills, the ship is sitting nice and level fore and aft <laughs> and, and yeah. then brought to stop and they lower the lifeboat and you attach it to the side of the ship, people embark it. But these weren't attached to the side of the ship. Nobody knew how to do it because there was nobody properly in charge. But the ship wasn't level like we normally do the drill. It was tilting over onto its starboard side and rolling. So the lifeboat would swing out and crash against the side of the Ooh. ship. It was doing that all the time. And just so it would swing out and there's just a big gap dropping down into the ocean. Oh, and, oh. and so it, it was scary, and, and guests didn't even want to get onto the lifeboat. So the only way that we could do it was was, was th there were railings there. Um, I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to get them off, but again, myself and, and one of the entertainers, we managed to get see these hinges had pins, and we pulled the pins out. We just took the whole railing, didn't know what to do with it, and we just threw it over the side of the ship. Um, so now we had this big open space, but it's supposed to have a lifeboat fitted to it. But as I say, the lifeboat would swing away and crash on. And what we did was we started creating a line 
of people coming in there. We did 20 at a time. Tracy and some of the other entertainers were helping manage that side of things whilst I stood at the lifeboat. And when the lifeboat swung and, and hit, I would then stand with sort of one leg on the on the ship and one leg on the lifeboat and try and get maybe two or three people onto the lifeboat. Oh, and as I wow. felt the ship lurch the other way, I'd jump back onto the Oceanus. The lifeboat would swing out, crash against the side again, and oh. I'd try and do a few more. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's it's you know, there's no for, choice for our guests to have to, to, to. I mean, it is scary enough abandoning the ship, but in that, you know, if they get it wrong, they'll just drop down the gap into the ocean or get hit by the lifeboat right. as it swings in. But the problem we had then, as we were filling the lifeboat, the more people they got in, the heavier it became. And when it swung out and hit the side of the ship, harder. the harder and harder it was hitting the ship until people in the lifeboat, very distressed, they were kind of squealing in terror every time it hit the side of the ship. Oh, my God. And bits of the lifeboat were now starting to crack and break off. And it was horrible, horrible. Oh and my God. so then the crew who were assigned to to kind of launch the lifeboats once it was a fair number of people in it we just decided listen let's just launch it and you know pull the levers and you don't need power to launch them they're all gravity fed as they go down and we would just launch the lifeboat nobody properly in charge of it nobody knew how to start the lifeboat engines because there was nobody in charge oh my god and not all those lifeboats had engines in here we had a couple of open lifeboats with with you know no roof over them and they don't have an engine anyway they have what's called a fleming gear and it's 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 almost like a like an oar, a, a number of sort of oars where you sit and and you pump the oars and it doesn't go over the side, but it goes down to through a gear mechanism and drives a shaft in the bottom of the lifeboat and drives a propeller. It's a Fleming gear, and people are pumping those things like mad, but the lifeboat's going nowhere. We only found out subsequently because the Fleming gear was broken; it didn't work properly. But <laughs> no, but I'm um, so and, and these quick. poor people just got launched into this thing into the dark, and they just drifted away into the night oh my gosh but so now and, what happened and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later but to my mind it's like okay every crew member has an assignment and you know there are people that are assigned to driving lifeboats um what happened to these crew where where were they the problem we had and the reason there were no not the correct assigned crew to these positions is right. because there's supposed to be some officers controlling all of this yeah that's we didn't know at the time. We I only know subsequently because there was a full inquiry into the whole sinking, and I was one of the people um, chosen to give evidence at the inquiry. And the the officers had abandoned the ship and got off in their own lifeboat. Oh wow! Before and, and you, they'd before already everybody. left. They'd already left. They left before anybody got off. That's not, not how it's supposed them, to go. No, but no. no. But <laughs> most of the, the captain supposed to go officers, down with the ship. Yeah, wow. had had already left, and most of the there was a huge amount of press coverage about the sinking afterwards, and there still continues to be quite a lot of interest. And there's a lot of TV documentaries and things, and most of them always say that the captain got off in the first lifeboat, but he actually didn't. And um, he was still on board, but I didn't know where he was, and we just assumed he's on the bridge, just doing what he can to kind of control the situation. And we assumed there were no announcements because the PA system maybe had failed. I mean, we just I didn't question that. I just thought, okay, well, the captain and whoever needs to be is on the bridge doing things. There's nobody here doing the lifeboats. So so we just pitched in, just the entertainment team. We were just doing the best we could do. So continued to launch those lifeboats, got them down. And now we'd finished the starboard side lifeboats. So we went to go and do the port side. Now, the port side, we had now the opposite problem to the starboard side, because now the ship is still tilting right over to the starboard side. But now we're over on the port side. 
the lifeboats, when you lower them, are pressing hard against the ship and gravity won't pull them down. They're just sitting there. It seemed quite easy, although it was a, a bad angle. We got them loaded up and then the guys pull the levers, release the cables. The lifeboat just sits there. And as there's a big swell, goes back the other way. The way down a little bit goes, further. And part of the lifeboat suddenly drops, you know, a, a, a meter or two. And that's terrifying for people inside it. And then yeah. the, the front of the lifeboat goes down. And they need to tip out. And then the back. And eventually, bang, 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 into the water. The thing. And, and I was really concerned that we were going to kill people putting them into those lifeboats on the port side. It was just too dangerous to to put anybody else off there what we did so it's so funny when when uh you know english or like you know like you're saying like i was so concerned that this was happening i would be freaking (laughs) the freak out flipping i don't know anybody that wouldn't be freaking out i mean granted we all had lifeboats and this was in the 90s and we had positions on life raft lifeboats you know all this kind of stuff i would be flipping out well in in, inside you are but it, it, it was it was a remarkable situation because i don't know really how we kind of ended up being in 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 charge of things but there was nobody else and and you and you could either be standing in a line hoping someone's going to rescue you or you can start making it happen and 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 we couldn't just abandon the passengers and also for us entertainers who'd been in the lounge everyone was looking to us and we were kind of entertaining them and they were saying what's happening and it was just this incremental assumption of responsibility that we just started to take on and the next thing we were running it The, the remaining lifeboats on the port side we thought we'd only just leave the lifeboats there so we launched them empty and left a painter you know rope tied around the railing so the lifeboat would stay with the ship and we thought well fine uh when the ship goes down we'll just try and untie it from the ship and at least we've got a lifeboat floating right there we all had life jackets on we had a bit of a plan b and thought well you know we've got lots of spare life jackets and they were in all sorts of lockers all around the pool deck areas we'll get all the spare life jackets tie them all together and make one huge great kind of orange raft we can all kind of cling on to and hopefully we can make it to the lifeboats was sort of a, a vague plan b but once we'd launched those port side lifeboats we thought right let's go to the bridge and ask the captain you know what what can we do next and at this stage we had about a, well we knew we had a little over 200 people still on board actually it was 228 i now know afterwards we, we had 571 people in total and at this stage there were 228 left we, we went up to the to the bridge, you know, with the uh, cruise director and, the, and some of the entertainment team, myself and Tracy and a couple of the other entertainers went up there. Uh, let me let me ask you this uh, when you're saying this, like you let all you helped all these people over and your feet are splitting the, the ship and the lifeboats and send them down. All this happens. Where in your mind did you think I really should jump in and go with that lifeboat to get away from this thing? No, nope, I got to go back on and help. You know, I got to well, continue it, my job. It, it just didn't occur to me to, to to get off in those lifeboats because I knew there were still so many people on board. It just my focus became let let's let's get everybody off. I mean, we just we just have to we just have to get everybody off. It's it just so it never occurred to me to think well okay I'll jump off now and or no I better not or it just didn't occur to me. It would, we had this focus. Let's get everybody off, and that—that that was what the focus was. And, I think and a lot and, of crew. I think a lot of crew have that mentality, right? That you you're there to help, and unless you see the ship is like already, you know, just about to sink, you're gonna stay on as long as you can to make sure that you help everybody. If you think about when we worked, okay, we never in, in a situation that stressful. 
but there was always things that were happening that were causing problems that, you know, everybody jumped in together and worked to resolve the problem. This is just at a, at a much, much more serious uh, level there. Yeah. Uh, while, while all this was going on, did you lose touch with your wife, uh, your wife, Tracy at any time, or was, were you guys together at this time? Um, she was most, mostly still in the lounge and keeping people calm and directing them out. Those of us that were, that were doing the lifeboats and a couple of times I'd go back in and, and see her and obviously really concerning for her, worried about me and me worried about her. But then when we decided to go up to the bridge, we go up there and right, get there. And, you know, you're always a bit kind of respectful on, on, on the bridge and, you know, quiet and go in there and looking around and couldn't see the captain. And the, the bridge was at night. It's always dark anyway. And you can just see the, the radars going in various lights on the control panels but everything else is dark and we were saying hello captain hello and looking around and we could still see binoculars on the floor and charts and various other bits of debris on the floor and we were calling out and then we realized there was nobody on the bridge and it, that that's really a bit of a shocking realization because it's the one area on the ship there's always somebody there 24 hours a day it's not always the captain but certainly in a situation like this it would be and there's nobody on the bridge nobody oh my god that's that's like to me that's like the worst thing you could see like i'm thinking of a horror movie and that's the worst thing walking onto the, the, the and realizing oh crap nobody's driving this thing nobody's mm. nobody's in charge oh my was, god was there any was there any panic that set in at that point or what was there so much panic around already it was just another another thing that was going wrong yeah i mean it, it, there wasn't any panic amongst us it was just like okay so the bridge is abandoned you know i don't know where these people are but okay well what's next and for us the main thing was now we knew we still had over 200 people on board how do we get everybody off now we need to make communication somehow had no idea how to use the radios but figured well you know the radios must be working because all those stuff is on backup power systems. So Lorraine and myself uh, and Julian and Robin, one of the other magicians, we all took turns and, and, you know, trying to call Mayday and, and eventually managed to make contact with um, another ship and finally got, but that ship was too far away. They didn't know where we were. And, and, and in fact, there was a, there was a, the whole thing was very weird because one of, the t- one of the times when I was on the radio calling and, and spoke to Captain Detmar was the, this captain on the radio who'd answered me had he had this this big deep very um calming voice and just the kind of voice you need to hear that that and, and we thought great okay and he was on a ship called the ned lloyd mauritius was the name of his ship he was saying okay you know what what is your murder at this big voice we're going and, down yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and we said look we're we're on the cruise ship oceanus we're sinking okay he kept on saying okay we got okay so uh, oh how much longer have you got left to float sort of thing and i was saying well we, we don't know we, we could sink in, in an hour it could sink in five hours we just don't know the starboard railings are dipping into the water all the time and we're very heavily lifted over to starboard and our concern at that point we said the ship might just flip right over yeah and that's so pretty far sort of, yeah oh. so he was saying okay <laughs> so and then he says so um w- what is your position so i said uh. well we're we're about halfway between the port of east london and durban we're heading to durban and he said no 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 not 
what are your coordinates? So I said, I don't know what the coordinates are. And he was, what rank are you? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a rank. I'm, I'm a guitarist. Okay. And he was, well, what are you doing on the bridge? You know, there's nobody else here. There's, there's just me, you know, my wife, the bass player, and, and there's Julian, the magician, and Robin, and Lorraine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he must have. And he was saying, "Well, what are you doing on the bridge? Where's, where's the captain? Let me speak to the captain." No, well, he's not here. Well, who's on the bridge? And it's just the entertainers. Yeah, but he oh, was nice. so good. He was okay. Um, <laughs> he said, well, "Well, we'll we need to try and work out what your position is." And a bit of a long story. How we tried to suss that out, and and, and we could. We could see another ship in the distance, actually. And it's night, so we could see the lights from that ship. It must have been quite a small ship, not much light. And, of course, we had no lights, but we still had our little emergency lights on. Um, but we said we could see another ship, but it doesn't know we're in distress, and it probably can't see us. There's great waves everywhere. It's not even looking for us. But if we said to Captain Detmore, you know, if he can get hold of the South African authorities in Durban, they can radio every ship that's in this part of the coast and instruct them to go onto their bridge wing and and look for a ship in distress and um, which is what they did and then that ship saw us so we got our position from his position worked our way we were captain detmar was too far away really to be of any help but he handed over to the other ships that were in the area and we had one ship called the gazerbi 2 the gazerbi 2 that's right and then another ship called the great nancy and those two ships then came to our aid and again they were on the radio with us asking different things and one of the things they'd asked when i was on the radio and they were saying okay well they only had one lifeboat apiece because they were small ships and said we'll send the lifeboat over how are you going to hoist the lifeboat up i said well i, I don't know how to hoist the lifeboat up how are you going to get guitar player <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, how are you going to get people into it? I, I, I don't know. He said, well, they can't jump. They'll just be killed. It's too too far to jump. You can't jump into the water and swim for the lifeboat. The storm's too wild. The currents are too strong. What are you going to do with our lifeboats? They said, well, well, I guess we can't do anything. They said, well, then we can't help you. We can't come too close either because the storm is so bad. And there's this, these incredibly strong currents in this area. A number of ships have gone down in this area. Um, the Waratah and there's, there's a few other quite famous ships have sunk in this exact area because it's so rough and the currents are so bad. Uh, I said, we'll just stand by next to you. Get your and- ass over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and- seriously, they can't just leave you. Sorry, can't help you. Yeah. So they said, at well, least we're go and give you guys life or something. They'll stay as close as they can, but they need to be a safe distance away so they don't bang into us and tip us over and also endanger their own ship. But they said, in the meantime, the South African authorities are trying to organize a helicopter rescue. Oh. We waited for that. And, and in between, we still had the remaining people in the Four Seasons Lounge, whilst this little group of us were on the bridge. But the ship really felt like we were worried about it flipping over. So they were in the lounge, and it sounds like the ship is probably about like that. Like Yeah. And then it would it kind was of roll like back 20, over and tip like over. 15, 20 degrees, or how far yeah, over that, do you think? That, that sort of angle... I mean, I've, I've, and I said, I've, I said much earlier, I, I always take photographs and video and, and my wife does the same thing. And so we've got some amazing photographs and video footage of, of all of this. And in, in, a, in a couple of the shots and in, in some of the video footage, the, the angle is, it's hard to believe. It really, really is. It's hard to believe that it's that steep. So did the, and, did the piano finally roll off the stage? Yes. Yeah. Into the drum kit, just... <laughs> broke all the drums and and one leg of the piano kind of buckled under it and it kind of just say so it just collapsed and off the stage but it just lay there and nobody got injured and they didn't get near anyone so we we then waited for for helicopter rescue and, and we didn't let anybody go down below 
but I, I was going down below to go and check on where the water levels were as they were coming up. And the last time that I went down, again, I had my camera with me and I went down one set of staircase. I hadn't even got to the crew area yet. I could hear the water. And again, that, that, these little points that I remember of, of kind of shocking realization of, of, of the severity of our situation. And this was another one of them. And I could hear this water rushing in corridors. And I, and I was way above waterline. And normally carried on going down the staircase. I wanted to see where that water was so I could kind of assess uh, the, the, the risk to the passengers who were still in the Four Seasons Lounge. And I got my camera and I filmed that water and it was on, it was on D deck, which was for Dionysus in Greek. And I can remember filming, I've still got the footage and, you know, I don't know why I started narrating it, but I did. <laughs> you know, I'm filming this water and, and you can, you can't see very well because there's just the emergency lights, but you can see the water shimmering and, and rushing from side to side and you can hear it. And I'm saying, well, you know, this, we're on D deck and I gave the time and the date and I said, well, I, I guess we're going down. Went back up. Now, to give us an it, idea, like how many decks? Was there, uh, I guess, A, B, C, D? Now, was there E, F, or, or lower? Or There were lower, and then there were crew decks lower than that, and then the um, and then the engine room below that. So it meant that probably about five decks were now flooded. Went back up, mm -hmm. and then, then I went to go and check back into the lounge. We thought we need to get all the guests out of the lounge now because it's it's just it's just too risky. And I went back one more time and went down the staircase that's right outside the lounge, goes down into the restaurant, which I'd mentioned earlier, everyone was eating and they came out of there straight into the lounge. I went down those stairs. I could see the water in the restaurant. Oh. So that must be about seven decks deep now. And that was another shocking sight. Again, you can't see properly. You can just see this water, little lights playing on it. And there's tablecloths and bread rolls and flowers from the different flowers on the on the tables and bits of food and just debris just sloshing about this great body of water but suddenly you go over the port side as the ship righted and then crashing back onto the starboard side as it settled down again on the starboard side and it that is so it is such a frightening sight and it's it, it's funny how how shocked you can feel it physically and i can remember i can remember being so shocked i could feel the shock in me thinking oh my god this is just below the the, the lounge where we're all kind of hiding out from the storm yeah anyway and you, and you mentioned this but you, you it's the realization now that there's there's no hope for this ship we're going no. down because the watertight doors people that don't know watertight doors are everywhere on the lower decks but at some point there's no watertight doors anywhere. So it, when it gets above that, there, you're, you, you're not stopping the water. You can close the fire screen doors, but that's not stopping the water. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right, Brad. That's absolutely right. And, and I, I knew then this, that there's nothing can stop this ship sinking. We just have to get these people off. So we got everybody out of the lounge and all onto the pool deck. So at least it was an open deck. But we knew that it'd be a bit scary for the guests. And it was still dark, but now we're heading towards dawn. And I'm not sure of the times now, but I think this must have been, we're still waiting for the helicopters. This must have been somewhere around 4 a.m. I'm guessing a bit, but something around that time. And just the first fingers of dawn started to come over the horizon. And we got everybody out onto the pool deck. But then it's quite frightening, the stark reality for the guests. And they can see this terrible angle that the ship's at, waves still pounding, this wind howling around them, spray. And, and, and I've got some great photos and video of everybody just kind of just sitting on the pool deck, just looking in shell-shocked. Yeah. Uh. And, and anyway, we're back on the bridge, and now we're just waiting for the helicopters to come. And eventually, helicopters do come. It was it was like out of a movie. And, and, and I've, I've got this video footage of, of them just flying. There's this sunrise coming behind them, these, this 
dark sky, but it's just lightning. And then the, as the sun comes, the sky is lightning. You've got this dark shape of the helicopters and then this thin cable and a guy in a black wetsuit just hanging underneath of his arms spread out wide, stop himself spinning around in the wind. He's flying towards us. There's several helicopters, one of them with, with a Navy diver hanging out of it. And we thought, right, now now here's, here's the cavalry. That This will all be great. And they were hovering over the, the, the forward deck and we could see from the bridge, there's like like a big area there. It's actually got a big H on it where you're supposed to land a helicopter if you have to, I guess. And they were trying to lower the guy onto that. But we still had these very, very strong winds. Now the light was coming quite fast now. We could see pretty clearly now outside. And the helicopter's hovering up there. As the cable's dropping and the guy's hanging here, he's starting to swing in the wind. And they're trying to lower him onto the deck. And the, as they lower him, the more he swings, mm. until by the time he gets down to the deck area, he's swinging so fast and so far, he cannot get onto the deck. And they kept on trying. And I think then they tried on the aft deck. I didn't see that. They were still trying it at, at, back on the foredeck again. So I thought, well, let me go and see if I can try and help. And I left the bridge, went down and went to that foredeck area. And, and you can't walk on that deck because it's so steep and you'll just slide down into the water then. But I found some rope, tied it around my waist, tied it around the port side railings there. And, and Tra Tracy filmed me doing this. And it looks a bit hopeless. And I guess it was, but I mean, you've got to try. And, and, I, and I kind of going down the rope, my feet on the deck, almost like mountain climbing down that rope to the middle of this deck area, trying to see if I can catch the guy. But he can't get low enough to me. And then eventually we realized that the problem was there was a cable running from the top of the bridge right down to the bound. And they put flags on it and lights and that sort of nonsense. Helicopter guys were concerned that he was going to swing into that cable. They were sort of pointing to it, hanging out of the helicopter. And we were kind of communicating just with hand signals. So I thought, okay, fine, let's get that cable out of the way. So I got some more rope. And this is the bit that looks a bit pathetic when Tracy's videoed me doing this. And when I play the video back, I think, oh, God, because I'm trying to swing this and throw the rope over this cable so I can pull it and try and break the cable. But I'm so hopeless, I can't even get it over the cable. The rope's thick, you know, it, it just it just didn't work at all. And then eventually one of the, the helicopters, they pull the guy, the Navy diver, back up in there. The engineers from the helicopter, whoever they are, the winch engineer, hangs out over looking at me down below. And he's got a big pair of bolt cutters and he's just showing me these bolt cutters. Okay, you want me to cut the cable of the bolt cutters, right? I move out of the way. He just drops the bolt cutters from the helicopter. I slide down my rope, grab the bolt cutters, climb back up the rope. We had one of the other, not the entertainment, but actually the guy who managed the jewelry shop, <laughs> Ronan, was around. And I said to Ronan, listen, here's some bolt cutters. Can you climb onto the roof of the bridge and cut that cable? So he did. <laughs> wow. So it's not just the entertainers who were there, but I'll tell you the shoppies as well. And so Ronan was there. And I mean, that is a damn difficult job. With the ship lurching around like that, but he made it climbed up there. Every, it took him a long time. Everything is difficult right now. Folks, <laughs> we have the entertainment staff sa literally saving everyone's life on this ship. <laughs> I am like, honestly, I am nervous as hell just listening to this, knowing that obviously everything turned out okay because we're talking to you, but it's just nerve wracking and just listening to it. I can't imagine <laughs> being there in that moment. Yeah, wow. and, and I'm I'm probably talking too much and making this too long, so I'll just quickly try and get to the end. So so um, now that the cable was cut, the helicopter came a bit lower. They tried to lower the Navy diver again. I still stayed out on my rope, and as the Navy diver came down, grabbed him, then we stood on the railing together. I remember us on the railing, holding on the railing, and the one Navy diver, he had like a, a knife or something. I remember scratching his initials into the, into the railing. <laughs> and I was saying to him, you know, you, you can't do that. And he said, no one will ever see it. 
nothing we can and i still had this vague idea that i don't know a tug was suddenly going to come and tow us to safety but anyway and so he now, said, did he give you the knife so you could carve your initiative? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and and so then he said, look, what we're going to try and do, we can see from the air there's too many people still on board. We think we'll lose people today. This is just, there's just not enough time. So he said, what we're going to try and do is have one helicopter hover over the bow and one over the stern simultaneously. It's very dangerous because they're quite close together because the ship's quite small and there's winds are so strong, but if we don't do that, it's not going to work. We'll try and split the remaining people in half. We had one Zodiac on board, you know, those rigid inflatable boats. The one Navy diver, Gary, Gary Skular said, I'll go and launch that boat. And he took Julian, the magician with him. They went to go and launch that boat so that Gary would be controlling it and Julian would be in the boat. And they said, what we'll do is we're going to pick up people as the ship sinks. We'll try and pick them up out of the water and quickly drive them out to the waiting lifeboats from the other couple of rescue ships. And then if anybody falls out of the helicopter harness, we'll be there to pick them up as soon as possible. So they said, we're going to send the other Navy diver to the stern, a guy called um, Paul Wiley. He'll do the aft rescue. And they said, can you run the forward rescue station? We'll teach you how to do a helicopter airlift. So I said, okay. Is that so anything he- like learning <laughs> chords for my guitar? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they showed me how to do it. And they said, look, you're going to put the harness on. They said, it's easier if you do one person at a time, but we cannot wait that long. You're going to have to, we're going to have to use a double harness. So you're going to have to put the harness around. And basically it's just a, a thin cable comes down and then the harness is like a loop like that. And you just got to put people's arms through it and put it around underneath their arms up there. And, and they said to me, make sure it's up tight under their arms and high up in their back. Because as it lifts them off, if it's too low in the back, it'll lift their feet off and their head will go down and they'll fall out and you'll just kill them. So you need to make no sure pressure, no pressure. High. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the difficulty was when you I had the first person in trying to keep it up there and keep it right and then get the next person in line. But the whole time the ship is such a steep angle, people are slipping down the deck. And in actual fact, um I I, I dropped two elderly ladies and they slid down the deck kind of on their stomachs. And I had to stop the operation while I quickly shimmied down my rope, grabbed them. And then they they just clung on to me. They couldn't pull themselves up. And I wasn't strong enough to pull the three of us. I just didn't have it. But so again, Ronan, the shopkeeper, was there. And, and one of the other entertainers, and I forget who now, managed to sort of pull the three of us up. We got back up in there, right? And then I got some more rope. And I tied a rope from kind of a bulkhead out to the railing. So it was a bit of a safety rope. Tracy then organized the passengers. And she said to them, as you're walking out there, keep one hand on the railing and one hand on the school safety rope that Moss has got up and it kind of went the railings this way and the safety rope there and where they met that's where I was and so we had a little bit of protection for people and people were, and I'm glad we did that because I think we saved a lot of people falling down like that so that's what we were going to do they gave me the training I did my first lift we tested it with with two of the um, dancers put them in there and Tracy's got video footage of me putting them into the harness and then they get them getting hoiked off and you hear them squeal as they get lifted <laughs> off it it's scary and of boom course. they went off into the helicopter successful okay and they said right you're in charge you run this rescue station so then we split the remaining people more or less in half you know i took about half i suppose about 114 people something like that in the bow and the rest to the stern with paul wiley the navy diver and then tracy and i just ran that helicopter airlift and she just kept feeding people out to me and i just kept putting two in a harness up there'd go each helicopter only took 12 people. Then they had to fly to the shore, which was several miles away. I can't remember the distance now, but I think it was around 12 miles, 12 nautical miles. I think there was something around, I think it was five helicopters in total. So they just, they tried to just keep it shuttling and just, 
and I just kept on people as fast as I could rescue him. We just rescue him. My hands were getting quite messed because I was hanging on the rope. You know, I've got delicate musicians' hands. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, but eventually we kind of got them all out. That helicopter flew away, and we still had people left. And the helicopters didn't come back. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. Has there been some miscommunication? Do they think they've got everybody? How many people are left? We didn't know exactly, but we thought you know less than twenty, and we sort of waited and waited and waited. And the people were starting, what, what's, what's happening? And, and Tracy was dealing with that, kind of keeping that, that panic under control. And she's very good with doing that. And then a helicopter came back. As it turns out, now I know, they ran out of fuel and they had to go and get fuel from somewhere else. A helicopter comes back. Again, that sort of winch engineer hangs out. I'm waiting for him to lower the winch. They gave me a whole bunch of signals that I'd learned. I've forgotten what they were now. But I had to do all sorts of different signals that I learned like on the fly. Then he's leaning out there and he's giving me a new signal I haven't seen. He's going to me like this. He's just doing this, like, hanging out there. And then eventually I figured he wants that's counting. That maybe he wants me to count everybody. So we counted everybody. So we had, and it turns out we had 12 passengers left, plus Tracy and me running the helicopter airlift. And we had one other entertainer, Robin. We left one of the magicians on the bridge. So there were 15 people now left on board. So then I gave them the signal. And then he, he, he said to me, nah, and started pointing to the back of the ship, you know, and saying, you know, you back. And he wanted me to go to the stern. And we were right there in the bow of these, and we were just saying, give me this. And he's going, no. And what they could see from the air, but we couldn't see it yet, is the ship was right over on its starboard side. But it, we hadn't seen it was gradually going down in the bow. And that's actually how the ship went down, was in the bow. And that's where we were. But it was starting to tip down in the bow now. And so they just wanted us to get to the back as fast as we could. But we couldn't really feel that. But anyway... I just thought, well, that, okay. look, I'm not going to argue. They can see something. So I said to these 12 people, Let, we need to get to the back. And they were saying, no, we're right here. There's helicopter bleed. You've saved everybody else. And you know, we, we got them going, got them to the to the stern of the ship. And actually, Paul Wiley, the Navy diver, was still there. He'd got all his people off already. He was just in his wetsuit, kind of just waiting. Was there anything else happening? And suddenly we appeared. And he was like, where did you come from? Carving so his last name. Right. So then very quick, because he was so fast with the harness. We got those 12 people off, boom, done. And then it was our turn. And then putting the harness on me and the harness on Tracy, we got off and I knew what those passengers went through because as you get pulled off that deck, it's it's a scary feeling. And you're hanging over that deck, you think, oh, don't, don't break, you don't want the cable to break or fall out. And then they take you out over the water and start winching you up. And it's very hard to get now, into now, that. I, I got to ask you because you videotaped everything. Did you have the camera rolling as you were being pulled up? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. It's just too difficult. You know, I had a big camera as well. It was in it was in my backpack. So, we, so were you the last people on board? No, the last person on board was Paul Wiley, the Navy diver. Okay. Oh, but, and, but he, wasn't from the, he wasn't from the ship. Yeah. No, no, no. And uh, and in fact, the, the last of the ship, not passengers, but entertainers, was um, was Robin, who was on the bridge. So Tracy and I went off double in the harness, and then Robin went up, and then Paul Wiley stayed a little bit longer, and then he went up, and then that was it. Then we still had, in the Zodiac, we still had Gary Schooler and Julian Butler, the, the magician, there. And they actually had picked up a lot of people because uh, there's so many little stories, but, you know, uh, somebody did get dropped out of the helicopter harness, did slip out of it, um, but into the water, fortunately. Ugh. They picked him up. But also, because it was getting towards the, the end, it, it was pretty frightened. I mean, I, I was feeling pretty tense towards the end, actually. But people were jumping off the side of the ship then. It was, people were getting so scared, and they were picking people up then. So it's a good thing we had Gary and Julian in that Zodiac. So then we flew over that Zodiac to go and pick up those two, because those were actually the very last two to, to be rescued. But the downdraft was so heavy, we couldn't get them properly. And they came back to get them in, the, in a second helicopter. Then we flew back to the shore. I got some great video footage. I pulled it out of my backpack again of us 
going past the ship as, as it's there. And I mean, it just you can see from the air just how stricken that ship was. And then we got back to shore and you could see as we were flying over that it's such a room. It's called the Wild Coast, this area where it sank. And there was a tiny little hotel resort called The Haven in an, in an area called The Hole in the Wall. And there's a huge rock with a big hole through it. It's called The Hole in the Wall on the Wild Coast. And they'd been putting all the people. Now, the military had got there somehow. I don't know how they were already there. And they had people lined up in rows on the grass. And we could see it as we were flying over. They were trying to count everybody. And when we landed, there must have been radio communication in the helicopter with the guys there. And they were saying, right, this is the last helicopter. It's all over. And the people knew that it was us who'd been rescuing them. And it was really quite emotional because they all started singing, please, Charlie, good fellow. And, and I actually had two video cameras and another one of the entertainers, Terry, had that camera and filmed me getting off the helicopter. Oh, my God. And people are sort of all running up and, and they're kind of slapping on the back. And I remember someone coming up to me saying, is it over? Is everybody off? And I, I said, yes, everybody's off. It's over. And I just started sobbing. I, I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I was absolutely fine. And, and I collapsed. I couldn't. I'm about up. to cry that, right now. That, I mean, that, that, that put me on a stretcher. <laughs> that to put me on a stretcher and take me and put a drip in me. I, I don't know what was wrong with me. Well, but the level of adrenaline. Well, you're so long. I mean, yeah. you're talking about like it's it's it was more than 20. It took longer than well, almost 24 hours, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose from the time that the well, about 8 p.m. at night, it all really kicked off. And we finally got off the ship around about 11 a.m. the next morning. And it felt really close at the end because I said, you know, it, it nosedives down. It wasn't as close as we thought because the ship still lasted about 45 minutes from the t from when we got off. So it, not it felt a lot close, of time. it wasn't that close. Yeah, to me, that's 45 minutes is pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a lot closer than I ever would want to be to a ship going down. It, it, it's like if there's any other kind of thing, you fall off a bicycle or if there's a car accident or things like that, it, it didn't even slightly put me off going on ships. I mean, that that was a very strange occurrence, and I've continued to trace in Iceland to do ships to this day, and I still absolutely love it. But, boy, I wouldn't want to go through exactly that scenario again. Yeah. Now, let me let me ask, did you have or do you still have PTSD? I mean, no. does that did it ever bother you? Did you have dreams about it? I mean, do you have nightmares for, you know, after that? No, Just, not really. No, I mean, that, it's, uh, I guess if, if, it might have been worse if, if we'd lost lives. But, you know, fortunately, we did manage to get everybody off. We didn't know we had everybody off for several days. And that was quite stressful as they were trying to piece the manifest together and who jumped off the ship and who was in the helicopters. And But eventually 571 people, they all accounted for. We got everybody off. Okay. Okay, Moss. Um, we've got about 15 minutes left here. So, so you've rescued everyone. Nobody lost their life. Everyone's safe. What happens after that? What happened to the officers and the captain? Were they were, were they prosecuted? Strangely enough, the, the, I had mentioned before that all a lot of the press stories always say the captain got off on the first lifeboat, but he didn't. I actually did find him on board. Um, it was the third. We were on the bridge and we were we were on the radio and talking with these different other ship captains and rescuers and asking for coordinates and all this sort of nonsense. And they were saying, well, you know, where is the captain? He said, we don't know where he is. And they said, well, you need to get him, go and find him and get him to come here because he will know what to do. You know, how to hoist up lifeboats and all that sort of stuff. So I said, look, I'll go and try and find him. I knew that it wouldn't take long because most of the ship was flooded. And the only reason I was sure he was on board is because one of the other entertainment staff, Geraldine, had seen him getting off in one of the very early lifeboats and had asked him directly, Captain, are you getting off now? And I don't know if he felt ashamed or what. No, um, I'm just checking the lifeboat. And he got back on board. 
and then that lifeboat with all the other officers left. So, oh, so he was trying to leave. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know what's in a person's head. Perhaps he was going to get back on board anyway. But when Geraldine asked him, he was getting into the lifeboat and he stopped and he got back on board. So we knew he was on board. So I went to go and look for him, went up and down the decks, went to the pool deck area. And as with most pool decks on ships, you've got kind of the pool and that decking area. And then you've got staircases that go up to sort of sun decks that kind of go around it. Often it's a jogging track and that sort of thing. Where that staircase goes up, it's kind of a, a darkened little hollow underneath there. That's where he was. And he was there with one of the other officers. I think it was the radio officer. Doing what? And they were kind of hiding there almost from everybody. This is while we still had everybody inside the, the Four Seasons Lounge, but they knew how dangerous it was. They wanted to be up on the deck. They had their life jackets on and they were just sitting on there smoking. And when I, when I found him, I said to him, you know, Captain we've made radio contact can you come to the bridge not necessary it's not necessary and he was just smoking and i said look can, it, can you come and help us gone. to tell people what to do and i said also we were, at this stage we were launching the lifeboats i said it's completely dark we want to have flares where are the flares and how do we work the flares can can you come and show us what to do with the flares and he just was smoking just saying not necessary not necessary and he just and he i could see from his face he was gone and i just Never went back to him after that. I just gave up on him. You know, I, I have, I'm not sure what happened to him because I'm imagining that there he was, an officer in white, and he was quite a good looking guy and a, you know, typical sort of officer preying on all the females and, and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's not the best side of, of those older ships in those days and not like that now. But there he was on the bridge, everything fine. And suddenly the chief engineer comes to him and says, what's happened? We've got, they, they had a, one of the sea chest valves had fractured below the waterline. Water was coming in. They had done some repairs on some valves on the inside in the piping and the sewerage systems, which you're not supposed to do at sea. So they had those out, which is why none of the safety valves could work. The sea chest burst, the water came in those pipes. The pipes went straight through the watertight doors and to a holding tank in the bow on the starboard side. That tank just filled up and then just started to back up. And then all of the drains and the toilets and the basins, the shower drains, just started to come up through. It was just unstoppable. And apparently, I only know in the inquiry afterwards, you know, he loaded that all on the captain. And I think the captain just went, oh, my God. And, and obviously realized suddenly he was now the captain of a ship that was going to sink and that he, they couldn't stop it. They knew on the bridge then that it was unstoppable because these pipes and the valves that were open. The water, the water, doors made the no water tight doors weren't doing any good because it was going it was going through the water tight doors. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Brad. And and I think in fairness to the captain, he just kind of got crushed under the sudden weight of that huge responsibility. For us as the people who were helping out, we did it so incrementally. First of all, it's oh, I'm just picking up my acoustic guitar. I entertain a few people until the lights come back on. And then what's happening, Moss? Oh, you start checking the sound. Then I go there and you know, Tracy goes here and Julian does something over there and and then just gradually, we started to assume this responsibility. So it didn't hit us like a big shock, like it hit him. And I just don't think he could cope. Now, now let me let me ask you, the entertainment staff, a group of what, five, six or seven, eight of you yeah. or something, um, no other crew members assisted you guys? I mean, I, I'm sure they probably did helping people, you know, find their way and stuff. But just the eight of you, the band, took control and saved everybody on that ship. Yeah. I mean, we did have some of the, the crew who were standing out at their lifeboat stations and did the, the actual lowering of the lifeboats because we, we didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. They did that. And then you've got to have some crew went into the lifeboats as well 
I don't know how many numbers. I mean, it, it was just it was just all happening in the dark. And when Lifeboat had a lot of people in it, we just let it go. Let me go um, to to uh, after this. So I'm pretty sure that you would probably be the biggest witness with all your videotaping and stuff. Did you go to trial? Did you have to? I'm sure you ha- would have to testify and tell yeah. a story for yeah. the inquiry. And so they did have an international inquiry, and they held that um, and they flew in marine investigators from around the world who yeah. is impartial as possible and, and and that investigation was quite um quite tense because that they don't know who to believe and i mean they'd be firing questions at me and you know you say one thing and then they'll come at it from a different angle and then ask you a similar question this ah, but in your notes you said anything um I'm not sure. The evidence was so overwhelming. Not you had videotape of, of it all, pretty much. Yeah, I got videotape of it all, which they used in, in evidence. Plus, the other ships were talking about, oh, we, we were speaking with the entertainers, and we spoke with a guy called Moss and a guitarist and Lorraine. And so, so th- nobody could dispute what had happened. So what the captain did was stuck to his guns, and he said he got off on a helicopter and went to shore to go and run things from there. He said that there's a video of him saying this shoreside whilst we're still on board rescuing the people. Um, there he's was like, someone video there with Moss. He, he'll take care of everything. He, yeah. He's got it under control. And they, they said to him, but Captain, you're here on the shore, and there's still people on board the ship. Um, and, and he said, I gave the order to abandon. Abandon is for everybody. Some like to stay, they can stay. Uh, what a... I know, he, so I, the, I know the, he lost his captain's card or whatever that is. Well, the, the result of the inquiry was the captain and four senior officers, or was it five? Anyway, the captain and four or five senior officers were found guilty of negligence. And that was that. That was the end of the inquiry. They all went back to Piraeus. We all went back to our lives, got onto other ships. And that captain got another ship and was captain of another ship. Oh, my oh gosh. My God. Yeah. And I actually went. That's to, wrong. Yeah. Tracy and I were, were on a ship in Piraeus. And um, I went to go and visit a friend, worked at the Peritiki Lines. Helen went into that, into that building. You can see it when you're in Piraeus Port. You can see the bigger Peritiki building there. I mean, the Peritiki Cruise Lines doesn't exist anymore. Did then a couple of years later and went up the elevator. Elevator doors open. I was going to go and see her. And standing right there in his uniform was Captain Yanis Avranas, our captain. And I just got such a shock seeing him there. And he always got a shock seeing me because there'd been a lot of press coverage. And I'd I'd done a a pile of interviews and different TV shows and stuff. And we got made out in the press as these big antagonists. We weren't, I don't have any animosity towards the guy. You know, I, I feel he shirked his responsibilities. He should have done better. He should have stepped up. But you don't know how you're going to respond in a situation. You just don't know. And unfortunately, he just crumbled under it. And when I saw him on that pool deck, I realized he was just gone. So fine. Okay. But when he's there, he just said, what are you doing here? And I said, I've come to visit Helen. And he just said, I have another ship. And he just pointed out the window. And although we had another ship, it was a kind of a bit of a sideways push. It was the ship that was being worked on. And and I don't, I'm now surmising, this is not fact, it's just what I'm thinking. I, I think perhaps the cruise line thought, well, they need to keep him on because they, if they were to fire him, it would be tantamount to admitting, well, then he had done something wrong. And all along they said, and they still stuck to their guns, he did the best he could. And everyone keeps on saying, but look, everybody got rescued. The rescue plan the captain put in place worked. Yeah, oh, but you freaking left like you dirt brag. Well, hey, Moss, we're, we're about to run out of time. Man, thanks for coming on. What a ship story. That was the most incredible thing. I like I've said, I was honestly sweating through half of this. I just couldn't even imagine the horror and the craziness that you went through. We we definitely would love 
uh, if you're allowed to uh, photos and, um, you know, maybe videos or something like that, we'd love to put some of that on there. Um, well, sure. I'll, I'll send you a link. I've, I've got my photos and video on a, on a Google drive. I'll, I'll send you a link. And if you want to use some of it, you can. And, and awesome, if you guys awesome. have all seen any sort of interviews, anything, if you type Oceanus, Moss comes out on most of those videos as he's being interviewed. Because <laughs> uh, I've now, you know, when I saw you, I was like, oh, yeah, I know, I, I know him. Uh, but it's just from the, uh, the videos and interviews of if you if anybody looks up Oceanus on YouTube or anywhere, uh, you will see footage of the ship sinking and you will see interviews with with Moss uh, on there as well as as the you know, yeah. once, once the rescue and, happened. And there's a website, um, oceanasinking.com. Yeah, oceanasinking.com. I actually yeah. created that with someone else because I used to get asked so much about what to sell. So I just put some photos and, and a bit of a story there. And and at the very end, once we'd been rescued and we, we were at Shoreside, we had to give a full statement. And I actually put our statements on that website as well because it's fresh in your mind it was a few days later so those are there as well how long did it take you because you know you finally got on 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 land and everything was fine and then and then the shock set in like how long did that take you yeah we were mostly just really really exhausted um and then there was so much press and clamor around that we, we headed off to my parents place a little tiny town north of durban and kind of just laid low there wow. just one more yeah. question how long before you were back at sea probably a few months Wow. Do yeah, people recognize you on different ships and cruise yeah. liner and Yeah, I mean amazing enough, so many of the cruise lines I work on, um, Trace and I are in the safety videos that all the cruise often I go onto a new ship and they say, You're the guy from the safety video. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. All right. Well, hey again, thanks so much. Is there is there anything you wanna leave us with? Is there anything that you wanna mention before we let you go? Now probably you know, just in, in closing, I'd, I'd say that it's amazing even having gone through that, just how much I still love cruising. I still think that that is it's the best way to travel and see the world. It's just you cannot beat cruising. And I still love doing it. And maybe I'll maybe I'll see some of you out on a ship again someday. That'd be great. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Well, Hopefully not in the middle of the dark. Well, it's <laughs> yeah, strange. not in the dark, you know, putting hey, on well, a, a if there's somebody harness. I want to be with in the dark in that situation, it's Moss. Because <laughs> yeah. he knows how to handle it. You're <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. You're you'd be in good hands. You'd be yeah. in <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Moss. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you so much. much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yes, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye. That is an amazing story. Oh it's just God. crazy and insane, but amazing. That's going to be a good one, I think. I can't even imagine that no. entire experience, the horror, the stress, the madness of just and, and amazing those guys. I mean, they're 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 heroes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. they're, they're, they're really heroes. And I mean, I, I think they'll probably deny that they're just like, oh, well, I was put in the situation, but Hey, that's what makes heroes. You know, they're not out there asking for it. They're just in the situation and they do what it, they do what it takes to get it done. You know, he's that's, right there with captain Sully and captain Phillips and Moss Hill. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's amazing what they, what he, and they did. My yeah. favorite part yeah. about this whole thing that he was recording the entire thing. And it then I had camera. two cameras. She was recording me coming in on the airlift. Hey everyone. The ship is about to set sail, which brings us to an end for today. We hope that you enjoy the podcast for bonus audio. And if you would like to see this podcast and video, please visit our YouTube channel, 
My Ship Story. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as My Ship Story. Don't forget to let us know if you're a past or present crew member and if you have a story that you would like to tell or if you'd like, you can email us your story for us to read on the air. Email us at myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. That's myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. Goodbye for now, and be sure to tune in next week, same time, as we'll have a new podcast every Monday. Bon voyage!